Mike Mahan is a professor in the Department of Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Mike, welcome to CC Life Science. Thanks, Chris, and th uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. So let everybody know, we're going back to my roots today. Mike and I were lab mates in graduate school in Utah, and then I worked in Mike's lab in Santa Barbara way back in the 90s, the late 90s. And today we're going to talk about antibiotic resistance following my recent episode with Randy Rohde. And this time we're going to focus a little bit more on new antibiotics, challenge of finding those and susceptibility testing, which sometimes gives answers that might not reflect actual in vivo effectiveness. So let's start off just talking about the problems of antibiotic resistance generally. And then beyond that, the challenges of finding creating and commercializing new antibiotics. Yes. Well, um, these are all very, very timely topics and, uh, and thanks for the opportunity to be able to discuss them. Um, basically, the World Health Organization has declared that antibiotic resistance is one of the major threats facing uh, global health, okay? Uh, some bacteria today are resistant to, to all or nearly all medications known. There's drug-resistant staph, drug-resistant strep, drug-resistant TB. You get these bacteria, there's nothing that can be done um, with antibiotics. And we, you know, we need to act quickly. I mean, we're not, it's not going to happen. Well, we're, we're there, okay? And we're, we're entering the pre-antibiotic era where you know, a simple cut in the finger can lead to death, sepsis and death. And, uh, and so despite this urgent need for antibiotics, uh, there's been very little done in the last 20 years, okay? And the, and the reason for it is that pharma, the pharmaceutical companies have abandoned, virtually abandoned antibiotic research. And it's very simple. It's, uh, it's very risky and it's not profitable, you know? Uh, two good reasons not to do it if you're a pharmaceutical company. And so what they've been focusing on are blockbuster drugs that you know, have a long-term long uh, time course, i.e., uh, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cholesterol, high cholesterol, uh, immune disorders, uh, cancer. That's where they've been focusing. And, uh, and it's, it's all math. It makes simple sense. I and mean, it takes 10 to 15 years for a new drug to come to market. It takes 10 to 15 years of research at a cost of $1.5 billion. Okay. And, and what the average drug revenue is, is $50 million a year. That's 30 years just to make, just to get what you put in, and they just, uh, I can tell you that 95% of all uh, antibiotic research is not done by pharmaceutical companies, it's done by biotech companies. And a lot of them have never produced a product. The pharmaceutical companies, they have the means, they have the, you know, moment and the, and the opportunity, you know, to, to get it done. And, uh, and so there's these new, so we're trying to figure out, we have to now basically put a different value on antibiotics. Okay, that's uh, that that they're worth a lot more than what the, the the revenue says, and so as a society, you're going to have to come to that conclusion, um, in my opinion. Um, and there's these new ideas that have been floating around for a while. Is that you know have the government you know provide pharmaceutical companies for R and D funding? Say we think this is important. Here here's a sum of money to so you do work on antibiotics. And the second is to uh, give what are called subscription fees. And so uh, we're just going to have to change the way we view it. I mean, um, 
it can't be all on the pharmaceutical companies. We have to, as a society, have to say, okay, you know, we're going to have to pay more for these. I think antibiotics are important. And if one of my, you, one of my friends or family gets infected, I want them to get an antibiotic that'll work. And, uh, and so, um, hopefully this, you know, that this will start a conversation, you know, start, it'll, you know, fuel the conversation to be able to actually do something meaningful. Um, and so how do we get here? Uh, basically, um, well, in 1966, the World Health Organization made a decree or declared that we're going to test antibiotics a certain way. We're going to use this one media. The whole world will use one media. And it made sense uh, to be able to test antibiotics because apples to apples, like if you're infected you know, in the Bay Area versus Santa Barbara versus Africa, South America, et cetera, we all are using the same test. It made a lot of sense. And, uh, and they chose a specific media. Uh, it doesn't matter the name of it, but it's a rich media, like chicken broth, basically. And it was chosen because it's, it was super cheap, it's widely available, and many pathogens grew on it. Three really good reasons. There has not been one change since 1966. It's almost 60 years. And, uh, and you know, Chris, you and I were our geneticists. You know, that we've been thinking about this for a while. And... This makes no sense from a genetic standpoint that why would a rich media be the standard? You know, it always something in my mind was always going off. This has been for a really long time for me. And, and if you can now mimic the body, the bacteria, the action of the antibiotic against the bacteria in conditions that reflect the body may more accurately predict the patient outcome. Okay. And this has been something that's, that's, uh, and, and, and why hasn't it been changed? It's really hard to change what I've learned uh, that the difference between science at the bench and actually in the clinic, it is palatial. It is not, yeah. oh, I made this discovery. No, no, that's not the way it works. And actually, after we made one of these discoveries, that discovery I'm just going to tell you about, about a new antibiotic susceptibility test, uh, I got in touch with uh, this, to, with UCLA, which runs this very large facility for any new antibiotic test. And uh, so, yeah, I read your paper. That's great. You know, and, and he said, but you know how hard it is have to have, have the world change their test. And I just kept saying, but we both know it's not, it's not good enough. And I just kept saying that for an hour. He finally just gave up. He just caved and said, okay, when you when you got it, get, you know, get a hold of me. And I haven't done it yet, but uh, that was not, that was in 2017 actually. Wow. But anyway, um, so let me tell you about this new antimicrobial susceptibility test that we've, uh, that we've come up with. And basically the solution was to be able to, to define, define a media that more reflected the body and bacteria, when they're in the body, they sense and respond. They'll change their surface. They'll change their gene expression, their protein expre uh, expression in response to the environment they're in. And we thought that may more accurately reflect when you're challenged with antibiotics, they sense and respond to this and they respond very differently. And, what we showed was that, that using this test, that we now checked FDA-approved antibiotics that are dismissed um, by the gold standard test. And the answer was there were several antibiotics that uh, were highly effective in treating sepsis in mice that were, are never used because, by physicians because the gold standard says, test says it won't work. And, uh, and so... Um, Based consequently, our toolbox for antimicrobial infection is much larger than we than we than, than we thought. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, 
Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, it's very simple. People aren't Petri plates. Okay, that's why antibiotics fail. Okay, and uh, and the, the research, this research has two major implications. One is that it optimizes the prescription and use of current antibiotics. Number two, it enhances the efforts to discover new ones. So a new test could be used to, to bring in to, you know, antibiotics we already have and also discover new ones. You know, and if you can get, and the whole issue is, can you accurately predict patient outcome quicker? And these, these trials are expensive, okay? And what we showed actually, uh, that two thirds of the time, the test, both tests, the old test, that gold standard test and our test agree, two thirds of the time, great. And about 20% of the time, there's a big difference in the fold uh, of how sensitive or resistant they are. But 10% of the time, it, call, it crossed what's called a clinical threshold. And that's, what, and that's what physicians, that's what they look at. A clinical threshold means resistant or susceptible. And so what, we're, what I'm saying is 10% of the time, the drugs we tested, and we tested a lot of drugs and against a lot of pathogens, that, that the standard, gold standard test said it would be resistant, our test said it was sensitive, or the gold standard test said it was, should be uh, susceptible, and our test said it should be resistant. And we tested it in an animal, and it, 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 in a very large animal experiment, the answer was the, uh, the new test accurately predicted markedly better than the, gold standard, than the gold standard test. But on the positive side, when you did both tests together, it was nearly 100% correct when they agreed. So when they both agree, it's like that would give some confidence to physicians. I'm all, that's all we're saying. And this test is super cheap. There's nothing different than the standard test that's been used globally. It's just a different media that's also super cheap. Yeah. It's self ultra medium. Okay. And I can tell you that physicians have known that this test has been flawed for a long time. Okay? <laughs> and what they've done, here's, here's an example. Uh, the ZPAC, which is this, it, zithromycin, it's the most, second most commonly prescribed drug in the United States. You give it to your kids for ear infections, and it's very powerful. Okay. Uh, however, against sepsis, bacteria that cause sepsis like MRSA, E. coli, uh, strep pneumonia, things like that, uh, it comes in last, basically on the gold standard test. Don't use it for that indication. Use it for skin infections, ear infections, whatever. However, in our test, it's at the top. Okay. It says, yes, it will work. And, and anyway, physicians have known just by their experience, they've been going against the test and, uh, and, prescribing azithromycin for sepsis, for MRSA, for instance, other uh, nasty pathogens as well. And this is the minority of them, but there's some ones that have been very vocal about it. No, I'm sticking with this because it works for me. And uh, however, if you're a physician uh, at every major medical center in the country, uh, there's a thing, there's an antibiotics use committee trying to, for antibiotic stewardship, i.e. you can't just give everybody a re-antibiotic because we're gonna, not going to have any left, okay? So it makes a lot of sense to have these. But you can't just go, we call it go rogue or go off menu. You <laughs> have to actually, you're a physician, you can do it, but you have to justify it. You have to now say, I'm using this because this is my experience. And you got to do that almost every time that you do it. And uh, here we're given some, you know, hope for the disconnect that with that physicians know is there, uh, but they, you know, they're conflicted. Okay, should I do what? The, the standard says to do, or should I do this other thing that's based on my experience? That's a hard call. Okay. And uh, this gets, so every physician actually that it, since his papers come out has, there's been, it's been all positive. Like Mike, this is great. I mean, you know, we just your paper, you know, and it's so, so I don't <laughs> that's great. I want to ask. So I have a, a bunch of questions just around that, 
the new media, the non-gold standard test. Mm -hmm. How did you think about what that should be? Or did you just imagine, all right, here are my selection of growth media. I think this one is a better choice than rich media. Yeah. I'm just curious we, about we said that. It was simple that the simplest thing we could think of to reflect the body was to use, it's called cell culture medium, which was designed to grow uh, mammalian cells. The right. Rich media is designed to grow bacteria. Well, that isn't, it, it, it was just a disconnect forever, you know? So it was the first thing we tried and it worked. Uh, yeah. Now we're actually trying, in the paper, we've also uh, tried, you know, human sera, human urine. As of today, the best media has been the cell culture medium, which was surprising. Yeah. But we have some we have some reasons why we think we can tweak those as well that we're working on. Yeah. But, so uh, the light know, bulb just yeah. went off for me. I mean, of course, right? I mean, in retrospect, of course, not not like de novo. I wouldn't have thought of that. But oh, Chris, but, you wouldn't. But you're my right. minister. But you're the smartest guy in the lab. So, um, on the other, thank you. But on the other side of that. Um, the, yeah, cell culture medium. So I guess if you have that, so now going the other direction, why would you change it if the in vivo experiments on the mice correlate very well with that cell culture medium, the new test? Why, what are you looking for in a different test, except maybe to tease out um, gold standard things that are on the edge and which way should we go or something like no, that? A great question, actually. So so even though it was significantly, markedly significantly better than the um, gold standard test, and I mean, I, I just say this, it had to be or there would never be a change, right? We, we Our first paper on this was in 2015. Yeah, uh, uh, nothing happened. 2017, we only did one, you know, salmonella and a couple drugs. We thought, oh, this is going to change the world, you know, nothing happened. And then in 2017, we did you know, 20 pathogens, 20 drugs, but not that many mice, you know, different animal models. They're hard to do. And this time that came out, you know, whatever, this year, a couple months ago, that uh, we did, you know, a very large animal testing experiment, which is really hard to do because and these animal models are tough. And uh, and as uh, Doug Hightoff, Dr. Hightoff, that runs my lab, that I know, Chris, that you were, you're really, you work together, uh, he's really good. And he, and he has the capacity to test almost any animal model. And so we tested very large animal model models and showed that statistically, and we, and we set the statistics against us. We used the most advanced, this isn't biostatistics, it was statistics for statisticians, which is a different thing. We weren't pea hunting, let's put it that way. We were, okay, we set us ourselves up in, uh, to, the, to the most rigorous standards we could, and the answer was it was highly significant. Okay, so, you're, so, that's, so now to your, answer your question, is that, but it's not perfect. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think we can do even better. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I think it's important to always, you know, to always evolve to perfection. I mean, like, you know, if we can do better, because that's, that's lives we're saving. Right. I mean, I'm, I can tell you this, that if you're going to sepsis every hour that you're on the wrong antibiotic or not on an antibiotic, there is a statistically significant increase in the chances of death. Yeah. So, so, you know, because what you're doing, you're having inflammation and coagulation throughout your body. A lot of that's irreparable. You have blood clots in your heart, your brain, your blood vessels, uh, you know, um, and other organs and tissues. And so you want to be able to be on the right antibiotic as quickly as possible to be able, you know, where you can have these, you know, 
uh, life altering events. You know, uh, sepsis is a 30% mortality right now, the best medical centers in the world, 25 to 30. Um, however, in survivors, many of the survivors have long-term cognitive decline, i.e. due to this clotting and this inflammation that occurred, that's not repairable. So, I mean, it's good to hear, I mean, all those stories and the physicians are starting to get it. Before we shift gears to talk about a new antibiotic, what what do you think it will take for widespread adoption of something other than the gold standard? I think it's going to be really hard, actually. And just with this experience from this person at UCLA, that he's right in the middle of it. And he said, to change this, do you know how hard this is going to be? And the only answer I had is, well, we can do better, you know? Uh, yeah. And however... Uh, you know, we're running on antibiotics now. When we first came out with this in 2015, life's different in 2023. A lot has, has happened. And, uh, you know, really, we're running out of drugs. And it's every day now. Um, it's not like, oh, yeah, somewhere in some place, you know, whatever. No, it's at your local medical center to which you go. Uh, they're, they're seeing this. And now it's, it's the timing is, is much better than it was. Uh, and the thing is, I get it. You know, uh, in my view, I said, you know, the, our medical system, I'll speak for the United States, we're great at in catastrophes. That's where we excel. COVID, we excel in that. That's where, that's our, you know, that's our strike zone. Okay. But to prepare and stuff, that's not, you know, because it costs money and it costs yeah. time. And so, but, but to be fair, let's be fair that you're doing all this, but you're doing something else other than the antibiotics. Do you know what I mean? Like they're doing stuff, but it's not this. So it's not right. it's a lag. It's just saying that you have to get on the top of the table. And something like your show here, this actually helps us to get the word out that this is a, this is not something in the future. This is happening in every major medical center in the country. You know, right? So. Yeah, I mean it's similar to what Rodney Rohde and I talked about the victims of our own success. Most of us, we've grown up in the golden era of antibiotic or lack of inf. I don't know. Won't say lack of infections, but my parents' generation, your parents' generation saw kids die of infections. Most of us have not had that experience. So it's not, we just take it for granted that, oh, you go to the doctor, they give you a pill and you're done. But as you point out, we're heading back to the pre, you know, we're going to be looking at that. And what a tragedy in a way to think like, all right, for 80 years was the window in which we were able to do this, but we're going to find out what it was like in 1910 pretty soon. Yes. It's, it's, it's a scary thought. And I don't want to be Johnny Raincloud here, but it, it's, it's the reality that we're yeah. in. And I think that for some reason, it's not out there to the public that we're in, that the, you know, the alarm bells have been ringing for a long time. They're wrong now. I mean, it's <laughs> here and life, if we don't change things quickly, act really quickly, uh, uh, which I think we will. So I think the answer is we will. Um, uh, that you know we're gonna we're gonna dive back into the pre-antibiotic era and and then yeah. and then and then you just don't make a new antibiotic. That's <laughs> those things are hard. Uh, as, as I said, I mean you know we've really had one major class of antibiotics since 2000. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, you know hit, hitting the homer here. It's like and the reason you know it's, there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean the, the abandonment of the pharmaceutical industry, uh, also litigation. You know. Um, you know, it's much easier to make another penicillin that we know is, you know, penicillin is very non-toxic. So that's why it's a great drug. Now things are resistant to it, of course, but all a lot, many of the new drugs are penicillin derivatives. 
these fancy new carbapenems and cephalosporins, they're penicillins, okay? Uh, and the reason for it is that, you know, we, you know, it, a lot of it is that we know the toxicity is low. And, uh, to, you know, to, you don't want to be sick from taking the antibiotic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's always the, one of the hard things is the toxicity. So, so for litigation, you know, you know, you just can't take that chance and they're not taking that chance. That's the evidence in the last, right. you know, so anyway, but I can tell you that. So, so about where you asked it to your question about, you know, where, where are we now? What's next? Well, what we're going to do is that, uh, it's called adjunctive therapy. So basically what they're going to allow us to do is not replace the therapy. So let's say if you're on penicillin and, and maybe azithromycin, we believe is the correct drug. If the patient is not doing well in the penicillin, they'll allow what's called adjunctive therapy or replacement therapy. Sorry, sorry, not replacement therapy, but additive therapy. You add this to the, to the cocktail. So it'll be penicillin and azithromycin. And if that works, then they'll be steady. They'll allow us to be able to get, and that's going to take some time. And then, then they're going to say, okay, now we'll do experiments on replacement theory. Instead of doing at penicillin, we're going to start with, let's say, this is for my son. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I got that. So it's, right. a, it's, it's a road. It's a road. But that, that it road is a road. That road we can do, actually. Yeah, it's, I see the end of that, actually. So that's, uh, uh, you know, but a new antibiotic, the road is much harder. Okay, we're talking yeah. about stuff where, you know, these are, the FDA approval is already there. It's much, much simpler, even that. But, but you're dealing with humans now. I mean, let's just, you know, we got to yeah. be careful. And, and uh, so uh, anyway, can, if you want, you want to hear about the new antibiotic that we've... Yeah, developed. let me let me tee this up for you. So yeah. we're going to talk about a new type of antibiotic. Um, Nature Medicine published an article this month in which you were interviewed talking about... I, this is the hardest word I've ever said, conjugated oligoelectric. Electrolytes. I don't know why I've struggled with that. So referred to as COEs. Yes. Tell me about how you got started testing them because they weren't really developed as antibiotics, it sounds like. Correct. And then, yeah, give yeah, us that so, story. Yeah, so basically uh, the U.S. Army um, had was a pressing need for uh, charging cell phones. When batteries go out, so when your cell phone dies, you die. Okay, that's, just the way, that's what they instructed us. And so the so uh, the idea came about to be able to solve that problem. Where bacteria are power cells; they make energy, right? And that's how, and what they do. They make the energy into making more bacteria. And so a chemist colleague, colleague of mine was funded to instead of uh, the way it works is that the, the, the power machinery is in the bacterial membrane on the on the outside, and it now shunts elect electrons, which is the power, uh, to do to do work, gets shunted into the cell. And he simply made these, these COEs, these conjugate oligoelectrolytes, to instead of the electrons shooting into the cell, he, these chemicals would now reverse it and make the electrons shoot out of the cell. And he could power a light with it, with bacteria. So the idea would be to have like a Gatorade backpack where, you know, you could live in a cave or the jungle or whatever for, you know, a Gatorade basically providing sugar to the bacteria. And then the bacteria now providing electrons to be able to power your phone or your light or whatever. And actually it's working. Okay. So, so, so that's what the original funding was for. And then the idea later, it had nothing to do with the funding that that with the reason we were starting with this came to, well, maybe you can use these for antibiotics. Cause we noticed that, that, you know, it wasn't great for the bacteria when they were, you know, that's, that was my thing. Like, how do you keep this thing alive? How do you keep the bacteria alive and working for you? Well, there was a kind of funny story. So when the chemist came over and asked me, he asked me nicely, 
And I met with Doug, who, who you know, who runs my lab, and we met in the conference room. And Itty Wee told us about this story, you know, whatever. And I, I actually literally kicked Doug under the table and going, this is going to be a really short collaboration. I, <laughs> I, said, I said, this is like going to be freaking bleach, man. It's going to be so toxic that, you know, bleach is great, you know, antimicrobial, but you can't drink it. Uh, and I thought it'd be like that. And so he gave us, the chemist gave us uh, a whole variety of them, not knowing which one would work as an antibiotic. Gave us like 17, I think, was the first patch we used. And I said, okay, we'll test 17 for efficacy, which means can you kill bacteria? But we're also going to test them for toxicity, i.e., will it kill mammalian cells too? Okay. And anyway, most of them, we were right. We were toxic as hell. They just killed our cells, bacteria, whatever. But one, one out of the 17, it killed every pathogen we tested. I'm talking about ones for which the, we derived from patients for which every, every antibiotic at our local hospital didn't work on. MRSA, for instance, uh, a Klebsiella pneumonia, which is actually the most feared pathogen um, by physicians in the United States. It's a, uh, it's a nasty pathogen causes sepsis called carbapenem-resistant um, Klebsiella that killed the patient. Um, and this drug killed everything, and it wasn't as toxic as the others, like significantly less toxic. We kind of went, whoa, I was just blown away. Like, you know, I knew they would work against the bacteria, but I thought they would be. And so I'll tell you, I'll be honest, if it wasn't, if it didn't, uh, the one of the 17, we would quit. We would have been, yeah, yeah other things to do. It just happened to be in the first batch we tested. Okay. So then we, so then we said, okay. And the first thing we did was, which it, what's, uh, our approach is different than the pharmaceutical industry regarding um, antibiotics, and and uh, and uh, we go to the animal first, not last. And the pharmaceutical company they have this they have this protocol that they go through. I understand it. Yeah. Okay, so everybody in the world does it. I get it. Uh, good for you. It's it's you know etc. However, the last thing they do is check in the animal because they're expensive, super expensive to do. Yeah. Requires really, really highly trained people to do it. It's not. You get you just don't hire somebody out the street to do an animal experiment. They have, you know they have to have years of experience. I get all that, but we but this is this is our sweet zone. This is what we do every day. So we checked if it could cure. Uh, uh, it's called ref refractory bacteremia, which is a fancy way of saying the patient didn't didn't live. Okay, i.e. refractory and that refractory to all antibiotics that were tested, and one was a MRSA, and the other was this carbapenem resistant. Klebsiella pneumonia, and we infected the mice. We gave them one dose a day, and we cured them. Okay, and these are ones that, especially for the Klebsiella pneumonia, that's kind of an interesting story. It came from a UTI patient in the Santa Barbara area, had a normal a UTI from the community, and they gave the standard drugs, didn't work, got sicker, didn't work, got to the hospital, gave them, didn't work, uh, sent, it, sent it to the, the other area hospitals, none of them worked. And, uh, and she died. She died of the infection ah. and dying of a UTI. Okay. This is from the community. I get it. People, the world, the scientists get it. If you're in a hospital, you're around a lot of six people and you have a lot of delays antibiotics, you're, you're just, in, you're just there. Not from the community. That, that will, that means something's, the cat's out of the bag. Okay. And actually that's how we got funded. I went to the, uh, for this work, I said that I told the story to the Head of Infectious Diseases, it's called RARE, the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. That's where the president goes if he, he or she is sick, if they can, you know, can make it. Um, and it was the first week. This guy, he's the head of infectious diseases, and, and somehow we got an hour or two with him. 
And I told the story. You know, I didn't care about the chemicals. I didn't care about it. I just said, this is what happened. And he was from Stanford, actually. He's a professor from Stanford before he took this position. And he goes, you know, anybody on my watch dying of a UTI of any places in the world, Santa Barbara? I go, this is, you know, uh, this is unacceptable. And I want it funded. And that's how we got the money. I just went out there and shared this story with them. And anyway, the bottom line is that, uh, so now we had a, we had a, you know, a drug that could kill, that was deemed, these diseases were deemed, deemed untreatable. Okay. So that's, so that's great. But the, 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 the one thing that we're like, key, key part to the finding actually as a geneticist is that the first thing we did and Chris, you, you, you know, we, we've worked together for many years. The first thing you do when you have an antibiotic, you try to make a mutant. Okay. You become resistant. And then I'll, that'll tell you how the antibiotic works. Well, Doug, again, Dr. Heitkamp has worked in my lab for 30 years. He's got his PhD yeah. in there 30 years. And then he wakes, starts doing serial dilution every day. You know, first day, nothing. Like, what do you mean, nothing? I mean, I was actually not that nice about it. I just said, come on, <laughs> this is a you know, yes, I said, this is <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, Can honest. I interrupt here and just say, like, if you knew Mike Mahan and Doug Heidoff lays down cells and gives it this antibiotic and none of them show up resistant, there's something missing in the media you did, right? <laughs> no way that comes out. So, so, so he did it for 21 straight days at serial dilution and found nothing. That was with salmonella. And I said, okay, and I started believing him. Like, he goes, Mike, I, yeah, so I said, drop all your projects. We need this. We need it bad. And, uh, uh, and uh, the answer, we couldn't get it. So we'll try another. So we tried at MRSA. Nothing. So, so, so salmonella and MRSA are two different classes of bacteria, and both of them didn't. It, it, we got no mutants. So uh, there was a place down in Sanford Burnham it, uh, Research Institute, which is down in La Jolla. It's associated with UC San Diego. And uh, anyway, uh, this person who I didn't know, but was recommended to someone's, uh, we got an interview you know, with him, actually took my son, went to Scott, and went down there and said, hey, we told him the story. And uh, what he does is he screens drugs for, um, I can't tell you, a major pharmaceutical company, 365, 24-7. And what they screen him for is what's called irresistibility. I don't like the word really, but that's what it's called. It means many, most drugs, or let's say many, many drugs, they work, uh, they may even be not toxic, uh, but the bacteria become resistant to them too quickly. So it's not, you don't make any money. Okay. So he does for a major, that's what they do. That's how he funds his lab. And, and uh, anyway, so I told him the story that we have this drug that can kill every pathogen. We don't see that much, much you know, toxicity. We can't find any resistance. And I said, I'm a geneticist. I've been here for 30 years. I've never seen anything like this. And you could just see it was just blank face, like, yeah, right, you know. And yeah, he's kicking his buddies under the table going, this is going to be a quick project, right? <laughs> the problem is I needed him. We needed him. He had, he had a, a fancy, uh, uh, Chris, you'll know what it's, it's called. It's, 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 a, it's called a morbidistat. It's like a chemostat. Basically what it is, yeah, it's all hooked up to computers, and you can input what media you want, and, and the rate in, the rate out, has all that stuff. There's only like four in the world. Okay, and I'm sitting in there, and I got to get in that freaking machine, you know. So I said, so he's, you he, he tell him just like, I know we're busy, whatever. I said, you know what? Let me just send you the drugs, send you some pathogens, and whenever that thing's open, can you, you know, you run it, run it for us? And he just, I just didn't leave till he said yes. I just, just wouldn't go. And so anyway, so it like, uh, it's like, it's gonna be at least a month, five weeks. I said, fine, whenever you can get to it, you know, because we didn't have another option, you know. So anyway, so like six weeks later, I get this call, this text, an email, all urgent, you know, exclamation point, no, three exclamation points, you know, and I thought, 
I thought someone died actually. I thought because we sent them some nasty pathogens. I thought, oh crap! You know? <laughs> it's, it'd be a bad day, you know. It's like, okay, what? all right. When it went to story, he goes, Mike, he goes, he goes, this is the most irresistible drug we have ever tested. Okay, and it did, and he goes, and we've done this for twenty years. And so, anyway, I so, said, well, I told you that six weeks ago, and he goes, yeah, we didn't believe you. <laughs> so he was honest, but he could that then he was very. Uh, and he's a wonderful guy. His name's uh, Dr. Andrea Osterman. He's a great guy. And uh, uh, anyway, he's been he's, he's really been instrumental in, in pushing this in pushing this along. But uh, anyway, how can this possibly be that you can't get resistance to this drug? I mean, that's that's just unheard of, right? And so, what we have found, and we don't know the the, the, the details, but David Lowe, Dr. David Lowe, who Chris also worked with um, at the University of Utah, and now he's at Santa Barbara. Um, this is in his strike zone. And uh, anyway, membrane changes and things. And what, he, what we found together was that this drug doesn't affect one target. It affects many targets, many important targets that are required for the bacteria to survive. Most, most antibiotics, almost all antibiotics have one target, like penicillin affects the cell wall. Okay, the, you, you disrupt the cell wall, the bacteria, it's like a snake, blows up because it can't make the skin. Okay, well, this, what we found was that is that many essential functions in the bacteria that are that uh, this, this drug got into the membrane and, and uh, affected, you know, energy production um, makes sense because we're you know they were designed to shoot the electrons the wrong way and also affect the membrane permeability. So crap was getting in that never you know things that get in shouldn't get in. Uh, affected the, they became non-modal. They couldn't swim to a to a to a source. So all these things we believe added up to. Um, the ability to kill every pathogen be tested, but also why there's no resistance. We take multiple mutations to get there, and so so uh, so we think the f- the future is bright. You know that that hey, we've made something that thinks it's going to make a difference, but it's going to be a long road. I'm going to tell you this way longer than the the, the, the antibiotic test. I see the end. Okay, we're going that will that is going to happen. Okay, yeah. change the media and have people live. Hmm. Okay. Without taking any chances, okay, uh, and we're saying use the you know use the current test and this test. They're both cheap compared to someone dying of sepsis. That is one of the most expensive diseases in the hospital. You, could you know how many machines you have to be hooked up to? Because sepsis is organ, multiple organ failure. Your heart goes, your liver goes, your your kidneys go, your brain goes. Uh, you know, and this is very expensive to treat. Well, versus just. Another media? I mean, it's, it, it'd be insanity for not that to happen, and it will happen. Yeah. But this is different. This, these, uh, these molecules have never been on the planet before. Okay, we don't know anything about them. What they are, they're these simple, simple chemicals. They're like Legos, and they have many advantages over current antibiotics. Uh, if we had a time, I could show you antibiotics are really complicated structures. Bacteria are great chemists. We're not that great, actually. Humans haven't been able to you know, catch up to them. Okay. And they're really hard to make. Um, and they're really expensive to make. And, and they're really hard to alter in case you get a resistant bacterium. Now, and this is why, you know, these new fancy drugs like carbapenems and penicillins, these are changing penicillins to something else. It's really hard to do and really expensive. These molecules are like that. These COEs, they're just chemical compound, modular chemical compounds like Legos. They got a red one, a blue one. Okay, does that work? No. Okay, well, let's put a you know yellow one in, and 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 the synthesis is incredibly simple. 
Uh, it's, it's high school chemistry, actually. Actually, we had a high school student make it to prove it. That, that, oh, that wow. He, he did it a week, too. So someone who had never been in a lab before did it, uh, made, it made a new COE and a milligram, a ton, a lot, which is a lot of antibiotics. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, but the issue there's, but the, for me, anyway, the issue is going to be toxicity. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've shown that, okay, in a week long infection course, we show we can, we can now infect the bacteria, we can cure it with the drug. And that was successful. We've also taken, uh, uh, um, infected the, uh, the, the animals, infected, uh, administered IV, the drug, to the animal without the bug, and they do fine. There's no, there's no visual. And typically, and as a control, we took one, drugs that are used in the clinic that are known to be highly toxic, and we could see that mice didn't look fine. Okay, we showed that as well. But what happens after 30 days? What happens, you know, across the population? What happens in a human? We have no clue because we right. haven't done the experiment. It's not a reason not to do the experiment, but I see that being, this is not an FDA-approved drug. This is something that's new. What does it do to the environment? You know, no clue. Uh, however, you know, the risk is worth it. I mean, here we have something that can cure every pathogen that we've tested. That's unheard of, you know? Yeah. But the toxicity is going to be an issue, uh, and we're working hard on that. Uh, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a long road. Um, we're also going to have to need to know that's number one to really yeah. understand yeah. the toxicity. Number two is really, really understand the mechanism of action and resistance. Uh, you know, we, we have a general idea. You, you, that's not good enough to get an FDA yeah. You got to know what it does. Uh, you can't just get a thing. Oh yeah. We think it's the membrane, you know, and it's, they'll never approve it. And so basically, at the end of the day, when we get that figured out, additional safety and efficacy studies are going to have to be done in humans. Um, right. That road is much longer than the test. But we, but we think we can get there. We think that, uh, yeah, I tell you, I gave a talk at the NIH, um, a couple of them, actually, before the paper came out. We told them about this in advance. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I thought I was being pretty nice about sharing both the test and the, the drug before the papers came out. This was this year. And so I give this talk. And... Um, and then the question session came up and then the whole thing, did you, you know, do this test, this in vitro, which means in the lab test, this test, this test, this test. And I was like, I said, I go, what? Like, it wasn't, the message was go in the animal first. That was the message of them that, you know, people aren't petri plates. That was the title of the talk. Well, okay. And then I fumbled. I didn't know what to say. And then the, the organizer said, uh, you know, well, I think what Mike's saying is that, you know, you should go in the animal first, either the tests can be done at some other point down the road, but not. And then I didn't say, yeah, let, let's review what we've done. We didn't do any of those tests. Yeah. Okay, let's start with that. But what we did do is cure two untreatable diseases for which yeah. there are no molecules on the planet Earth. We did that. You know, right. and, and, and you can really see the disconnect that we need to do to look at things differently, you know? Yeah. And however, to, to get funded for that, these are the guys that are on the panel. Yeah. Did you, I mean, it's, it's just this fight, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll tell you for the antibiotics, everybody has their stories, you know, but for the antibiotic, the new test, uh, I wrote that to the NIH like in 2009, I think. I mean, I got kind of laughed at, like, you know, like I said, here's the, you know, uh, you know, what I got, I got what's called triage, which means it doesn't even get discussed. Like, you know, yeah. you know to be blunt, this grant sucks. That's what it means. Okay. And, uh, and, what I, what I did, I just, I had, I, uh, I provided the major targets, which was not meant that many, you know, the, you, you target the cell wall, the DNA, 
the RNA, the protein, and I got a few essential vitamins. But that's the list. It's not long. And I made a, I made a list of this. I said, hey, we're, you know, uh, that we thought that we had a new test. It never made sense to me that, that the rich media would be the test. And what we got back was, you know, this has been used since 1960. Uh, it's been very helpful. And you don't have to tell this esteemed panel the, the mechanism of action of these drugs. The point I was making wasn't that. The point was, we don't have many. That list is really short. Yeah. You know what? I'm never going to get funded by them and, uh, for, for this work. And so I said, you know, we're going to get this done. And, uh, you know, and I, and I can say that also something about this show that's really helpful to get the word out is that there's also a disconnect in funding. Like, uh, and the NIH has been very generous to us. The Army has been very generous to us. But they fund discoveries. And then, and then the industry... They fund when it gets to a point where they can think they can, you know, market something and make something. Yeah. Okay. There's a huge middle there. That, that's where we are with both the, the, the susceptibility test and the drug. You know, the susceptibility test, we have to, you know, we have to now do this, uh, uh, you know, additive therapy and then the, you know, replacement therapy and all that. Well, somebody has to fund that. Okay. It doesn't come out of, you know, but it's not going to ever get to a market until that's done. And then with the new antibiotic, not until this toxicity stuff, and that's going to be a lot of money. And a lot of time, yet you know you're in this. No, oh, you've already made a discovery. Get it from the you know the the, the industry. And they're just going. No, we're not going to touch that till you get this step done. Yeah. And, and so it's like this. It's like crazy town to me. Like you know, wait, no man's land. Yeah, it's no man's land. But the thing is, it's not no man's land. But we know it works. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work. It's that crazy town here. It's crazy that that. And so we're struggling with that. But we're going to get there. It's not. It's nothing we can't handle. But it, I thought that. Uh, that's it, that that road maybe paved a little bit easier, but um, you know it's that's the hard part of this business, the academic business is that, you know it's been whatever. I have I one more know. science question. So there must, or I won't say there must be. Are there hints in the ones that are toxic? The differences between those and the one that is not. Yes, there are. That tell you kind of what's going on. You know what? Um, that's a super good question, uh, Chris. And what's really cool about these COEs is that it's really easy to do those experiments. You just change the Lego to, you know, what yeah. I mean by you have a, you know, uh, a building block. I mean, you yeah, building block, you have an amino group versus a carboxyl group, whatever. It's just really easy to change it. And so uh, those, those experiments are being done and, and uh, it's, it's, it is making some sense. It's not quite, I can't, it's nothing I can say, uh, but it's, we, we kind of know, oh, well, we did. We have to we publish this, so this is important. So out of 17 antibiotics, only, sorry, 17 COEs, they're not antiformally antibiotics, they're antimicrobials, uh, that only one of the 17 um, were not as toxic as the others. Only one of the 17 could kill both gram-positive and gram-negative, the same one. And then what we did, we actually did your experiment you just suggested. We changed the, the, uh, the, 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 the Legos a little bit and asked, can we get it, make it better? And it, can it, is it less toxic? And, uh, uh, and does it still retain the efficacy? I right. mean, you, you, those things have to be together, right? You can't just have one. They can work. Okay, it's not toxic, but then it doesn't work. Well, and the answer was we showed that, that by altering, they're the same class of COE, but we added you know, pretty serious chemical changes. And we could show that when you're in, we, we found where the sweet spot was, okay? And it just turned out that this one out of 17 it was this, it was in the it was within the sweet spot, and we would never ever have proceeded. Uh, but I'm really, you know, this thing about you know, 
this person dying of a UTI, it just kept bugging me. Like, you know what? We just have to, we just have to try until the science says no. And we kept having these no, no, go, no moments. Okay. It just never stopped. <laughs> so, so, which is a good thing. So whatever, after five and a half years, then, you know, we finally got, got there, but you know, really for the first three and a half years, whatever, we didn't have a dime. We we're just siphoning it off. It was taking half my time and half my guy's time. And we, you know, so that means that we're not working on the stuff we're really funded for. Uh, but now everybody's happy that, you know, they're all happy. I mean, I just happy they have the army's thrilled, you know, whatever. And it also shows that the importance of having, uh, of U.S. Army and the NIH funding basic research with a little flexibility, uh, you know, like, you know, to make, to make discoveries. I mean, uh, yeah, we had money to do other very important things. We work on sepsis. That's what basically most of the money we get is from the NIH to work on the molecular basis of sepsis to understand the mechanism and then also to make things, to make molecules that will stop this. And we're, you know, we're part, of, I'm part of this large sepsis group uh, for over uh, almost 10 years now to do that. So that's where a lot of the money came from. And a lot of you know, money came from the U.S. Army. And they, uh, yeah, I thought there was going to be a little bit of a disconnect and that, well, <laughs> this is not what we funded you for. Uh, and uh, they were, you know, very happy about it. And they were very, you know, I, uh, and so I thought, you know what, this has to be out there that this should be rewarded, this behavior of, okay, yeah, you, if I knew, if, if this is my opinion only, so this is just for me, if I knew the answer to every question before, when I was writing a grant, that's not that interesting to me. Yeah. Generally, if you already know, you know, it's like those days are over. I mean, I'm toward the tail end of my career. It's like, we want to make big steps. And so, uh, you know, not the same stuff. And the problem is it takes money to do it, you know, yeah. and 90% of my time or whatever, 80% of my time is writing for money. You know, it's like in the, in the last actually three or four years, we've had the money and we had the guys and it's been the most fun because usually it's a cycle. There are cycles, they're, they're opposite. Like, so you, you have an idea, uh, but you don't have the money to do it. And then, okay, then you finally get, you, know, you, have, you get the money to do it. And then you have to you know, get the people. And so these, this is this wave that but when they, when they're together, I've been here 30 years. I think it's the second time in 30 years that the waves were together and you make all these discoveries because you, you have the money, you have the guys, you know, and the motivation and, and you get it done, you know? Nice. Uh, so that's been really super fun. And now we're, we're on fumes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, I just started a sabbatical uh, this month, actually, for a year. And all I'm going to do is focus on funding and getting this stuff. We're going to execute this stuff. We're, you know, we're not going until this is done. And, uh, and so, you know, so so for a year, I'm just going to write, write for money. And so, anyway. Nice. Yeah. Well, Mike Mann, this has been a treat to reconnect and find out about all this exciting work. I mean, I think it's really cool what you're doing. And obviously, new antibiotics and the and the change in the gold standard test i hope and um yeah hopefully we make some progress and i just want to say thank you and, and have a forum to be able to to let this stuff be, get out there and it's the only way the change is going to be made you know if it's just in some lab in some place in santa barbara it's going to go nowhere you know it has to get it has to, the, the glacier the glacier has to jump it has to jump from one side of the iceberg to the other and this is the only way it's going to happen so we really appreciate your efforts in being able to get this. It's very important work you're doing, and uh, not many people are doing it. So, anyway, I wanted to thank you as well. So, oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs>